Well, it's great to see you all, and um, I hope that you, um, if you've not got uh, a Bible with you, perhaps you've got a phone that you can be looking along uh, as I'm speaking to you from this passage. We're actually looking at John chapter 12 and verses 20 to 29. John chapter 12, verses 20 to 29. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that were there and heard it said it had thunders. Others said an angel had spoken to him. So we're carrying on a series looking at discipleship. And we're having a theme this evening of continuing sensitivity, continuing sensitivity. And I'd like us to think specifically about verse 26 as a way into uh, looking at this passage, but also a way into thinking then about this theme of continuing sensitivity. Verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So if we are to serve him, we must follow him. We must follow Jesus. Jesus, obviously, state the obvious, gives us the ultimate example to how to lead a godly and a good life. And he sets uh, an incredible example uh, when he looks at what he is about to do in these opening verses. Verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so we see Jesus dying on the cross. Eternal life for the many coming through the sacrifice of the one. He is that one who will die. And through his death, many will be able to inherit eternal life through him. In verse 23, Jesus had said, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And we recognize that he he could easily have said, now is the time for the Son of Man to be crucified. When he said glorified, he meant crucified. In other words, he saw that through and beyond crucifixion, there was glory, there was glorification. This was the means of glory. Now, Jesus does what he does in a unique way, dying on the cross for the sins of the world. But even though he is the unique son of God who alone is able to pay that atoning sacrifice for our sins, 
Yet at the same time, Jesus here is giving us a spiritual principle and he is pioneering a, a route along which his servants, his followers, must go after him. He models a life of service, a life of dying to self. We remember, don't we, the, the upper room where Jesus modeled washing the disciples' feet and told them to do likewise. He said, no servant is greater than their master. And even as he modeled selfless sacrifice and service, he expected them to do likewise. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And he calls us likewise to die to self, to die to our own agenda, our own ambition, our own way, in order that we would follow him, living for his sake and for the good of others. God's children are like seeds, small, but we have the life of God in us. And it's only through the death of that seed that God can, through us, bring about something incredible. That as we are planted that life of Christ in us would give rise to something amazing, bearing much kingdom life and kingdom fruit. But it's an important principle to remember as we contemplate this death process, if you like, the way of the cross. That we remember the fact that actually we don't bury ourselves. Instead, we allow God to plant us. We don't bury ourselves, but we allow God to plant us. And I've thought many times thinking about what it is to take up our cross and follow him, what it is to die to self. I've come to the conclusion that there are at least four types of crosses that we can take up. And uh, some of them aren't uh, particularly desirable. The truth is that we don't choose our cross. There are a couple of crosses that we can choose. The first one is the cross of legalism. When we choose to do something that seems really, really, I don't know, horrendous, out of some kind of legalistic sense of obligation to God. Perhaps there's even an ungodly belief in there about the nature of God. Perhaps we've got a sense that God is like, a, like an angry choir master waving a hymn book at us because we got it wrong, or a policeman in the sky. And actually that is driving us to want to do more, be more, achieve more, um, you know, go beyond what other people are doing and really kind of strive to kind of live the Christian life. And if we have that kind of attitude, it could be that actually, uh, well-meaningly even, we end up taking up a cross that God isn't asking us to take up. There's another cross, of course, that we can choose to take up. And that, not through legalism, but through license, the cross of sin. You'll remember the thieves on the cross either side of Jesus. They were on a cross because of their sin. One had the wisdom to cry out to Jesus in his last moments and clearly receive the mercy that came through Jesus's saying that he would be with him in paradise. Sometimes we can take up a cross through our own fault when we've sinned. And when we do that, we need to repent quickly. That's why I find it really helpful to, to keep short accounts. And when I know I've messed up, to actually go to God quickly, that I don't reap a, a cross, as it were, a death that has come, not by the will of God, but my, my own foolishness. So we need to avoid those crosses. But there's also a cross that chooses us, the cross of life. A family member dies, we're made redundant. That's not necessarily because of our own fault. And it's not because God is doing something, it's just because we live in a fallen world. And there are crosses that simply come our way. 
So it'd be masochistic to try and find a cross when actually a cross could just come our way just by daily living and we ask for God's mercy in those moments. But there's a fourth cross and that's the cross that God chooses for us. There will be things that God calls us to do that are hard, but he is saying that that is the means of life. That's the means of him being glorified and through him bringing kingdom life to us and through us to others. You'll remember after Jesus' baptism that the Holy Spirit led him in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. That was God choosing a form of cross for Jesus, a form of dying to self through that being led into the wilderness. Jesus didn't choose that cross. He didn't masochistically lead himself into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. But he was obedient to the Father through the promptings of the Spirit. So actually the cross that God calls us to take up is not one that we have chosen for ourselves. But there is a recognition that we don't bury ourselves. We allow God to plant us, an important distinction. You'll remember the, do you remember the WWJD bracelets, the What Would Jesus Do bracelets? Uh, I tried to find one earlier on to hold up, but I seem to have lost it from when I used to own one. But the answer to what would Jesus do is, Jesus would ask the Father and he'd receive revelation through the Spirit as to what to do. And that's what we're called to do. When we follow Jesus, we're to follow his example in being those who are dependent on the initiation of the Spirit and the prompting of the Spirit and the leading of the Spirit. Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he heard the Father saying. And if we are to follow Jesus, then we are to follow him in that example. We're to say, Father, what are you doing? Holy Spirit, lead me. The truth is that we can't say, what would Jesus do? And look at some action of Jesus and create a principle that we arbitrarily apply in any instant. And uh, in fact, we'd be, if we tried to do that, we wouldn't know what to do. I mean, just think of Jesus healing people who were blind. Sometimes he might spit in some mud and rub it in their eyes. Another time he, he wouldn't do that. So you wouldn't know which to do. Oh, I don't know what Jesus would do. He did different things. So again, God is calling us to, again, looking at our theme, continuing sensitivity, eye dependence on his leading and his prompting. A quote from Bonhoeffer that I quite like uh, from his teaching on ethics, he says, principles are serviceable tools in the hands of God, free for him to use or disuse as he sees fit. Principles are serviceable tools in the hands of God, free for him to use or disuse as he sees fit. And the problem is that we can build principles based on scripture and any other motivation that's, you know, giving us, you know, educating our minds. But we can't just apply that principle in any given moment. Because if we're doing that, then we're not really following Jesus' example by his dependence on the spirit. We can't say to, to God, oh, I can't do that, God, because on principle, I've decided to do that, even if it's a good principle. So we need to lay down principles, as it were, that they don't become idols. I mean, Obviously, to balance this out, we don't need a prophetic word to help someone who's in need. We have the teaching of Jesus, the, power, the Good Samaritan, where actually if someone is in need, you just help them. You don't necessarily need a word for the Lord to do that. So there's a, there's a, a common sense. I've always liked the phrase, the Holy Spirit's uncommon sense. I like that. So there's a common sense, but again, it's a common sense that comes from the Spirit who leads us. The truth is that if we're to follow Jesus... It's a bit hard if he's not actually there in front of us. So the disciples could follow Jesus because the incarnate Christ was there with them. But I'd like to say, if we are to follow Jesus, then we need to adopt that 
positioning in Christ that he refers to as abiding. When Jesus was about to, to leave the disciples, he talked to them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he described a, a positioning that the disciples would have, that they'd be able to avail themselves of his love and his presence through remaining in him and through the life of the Holy Spirit. He called it abiding. He said in John 15 that they needed to remain in him. He was speaking of the born again experience. I mean, John the 15 comes right between, you know, state the obvious, John 14 and John 16, both of which have teaching on the Holy Spirit. And as we remain in the true vine, as it were, the life-giving sap of the Holy Spirit rises up in us. And it's that life-giving sap, that activity of God in us that produces good fruit. So if we are to follow Jesus and serve him, we need to learn what it is to abide in him. The truth is that we need to keep in step with the Spirit, as Galatians says. And this was the way that Jesus did it. I find it intriguing, the passage where Jesus is contrasting his ministry with that of John the Baptist. And he says, what shall I compare this generation to? He says, it's like children playing a happy dance and no one's responding and, and, and others playing a sad dance and no one's mourning. And then he says, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. And obviously the context, Jesus is contrasting the forerunner ministry of John the Baptist uh, with his messianic ministry and saying, you know, John the Baptist's ministry was predominantly about repentance. Sure, there was a bit of joy in there as well. Otherwise, you know, people wouldn't have wanted to go anywhere near him. But then he contrasted it with his messianic ministry, which was about the good news and celebration, the coming kingdom of God, which likewise included repentance. So it wasn't, you know, just dirge and just joy. Both had both. But he was making a contrast there talking about his ministry. But even if you just put that to one side for a moment, there's a general principle there that I think is really important. We do not know in any given moment whether we should be dancing or whether we should be mourning. We read in Ecclesiastes 3, don't we, that there's a time for mourning and a time for dancing, a time for embracing, a time for refraining, a time for speaking, a time for being quiet. But actually, we don't know which to choose. And that's why wisdom is proved right by her actions. If we are to follow Jesus, then we need to say, Holy Spirit, in this moment, you know, God, I'm just, you know, I can, I can just guess, but I'm probably going to get it wrong. Sometimes I'll get it, law of averages, I might get it right some of the time. But actually, Holy Spirit, what is wisdom saying in this moment? Should I be going forward? Should I be holding back? Should I be speaking? Should I be being quiet? And we really need to learn to hear the voice of God in order that we can do that. We can't figure it out on our own. Thinking again, uh, as we look specifically then at this passage and what it means to follow Jesus, we see here a real emphasis on hearing the voice of God. Jesus speaks, doesn't he, about God's timing. So he had said in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come. And just before that in the passage, verses 20 to 22, there's an intriguing little section about the arrival of some Greeks who want an interview with Jesus. And we don't find out if they actually had that interview with Jesus or not. Uh, but what we see is Jesus' response to the knowledge that they have come and want an interview with him. And his response is to say this, the hour has come. A little clue is just beyond our reading in verse 32 where Jesus says, but I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And it seems that this arrival 
of these Greeks was kind of, you know, helping him to think, actually, the world is now coming to me. And when I'm on the cross, I will truly draw all people to myself. So again, Jesus is listening to God. And it seems like this arrival of the Greeks is some kind of sign that the Spirit is prompting him, saying, now's the time, Jesus. Now is the time. If you read John 7, we read about another uh, feast and timing where actually the Feast of Tabernacles is near and Jesus' brothers are encouraging Jesus to go to Judea. It's an intriguing passage uh, because we, we know in John 7, some preceding verses, that Jesus is delaying going because he knows people are wanting to kill him. But actually, Jesus' brothers, who at that time don't believe in him, they don't know that. So they're saying, Jesus, you ought to go to Judea. And in John 7, verse 6, it says, Therefore Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. And obviously, as we were thinking about the the Jesus and the John the Baptist, there's a particular um, application of that in terms of the timings of God. But I also think there's a sobering principle there for you and I, that actually, if we're not listening to God, any time is right. Jesus says to his brothers, look, you're not really on board with what God is doing, so do what you want, essentially. Go to Judea if you want. If you don't fancy it, don't bother. Because basically, if we're not aligning with God's timing, it doesn't really matter. And I think there's a, a sobering indication there that we have to get on board with God if we're really gonna connect with what he is doing and be on board with his timing and his agenda. Unlike Jesus' brothers in that instance, we need to be listening for God's voice and directions. The truth is that he has said he will lead us. The scripture says, I will teach you and instruct you in the way that you should go. I will counsel and watch over you. So we need to be making that our prayer. Lord, I don't know what I should do. Teach and instruct me in the way I should go. Lord, counsel and watch over me in this instance. We also see in this passage, Jesus very real and human struggling with this prospect of going to the cross. And we see the voice of the Father that is such an encouragement to him. Jesus actually says it's more for the benefit of others who are listening than for him. But actually it must have had this really empowering impact of him, uh, giving real certainty that he is on board with what God is doing. The Father says, you know, I've glorified my name, Jesus, through your ministry already. What you've been doing has glorified me. And I'm going to glorify my name again through what you're about to do by going to the cross. We actually see the voice of God coming to Jesus at key moments in his life in very dramatic ways, like this instance. So at Jesus' baptism, uh, Mark 1.11, we see the voice of the Father coming to him just at the start of his ministry. We see in Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration, the beginning of his journey towards Jerusalem. Again, the Father speaking, making it clear what's going on. And then here at the, the journey to the cross, the Father again is speaking. And the thing is that this isn't just because Jesus is the unique son of God, although he is. But again, Jesus is a model for us in following him. We're called to this continuing sensitivity to God's voice, even as Jesus modeled for us what that is. God will do the same for us. He will speak. And I think of the last 20 years of my life since becoming a Christian, uh, and even all the, the work that I've done in ministry and the jobs, Every job I've had in the last 18 18 years 
um, I've had very clear revelation from God to do it. I've also had clear revelation from God not to do other things. And uh, specifically, actually, thinking about my, my three posts, uh, curacy, my previous post as a vicar, uh, and this post. I had a dream to confirm each time, and it was a very clear prophetic dream, God speaking, to confirm that I should do it. I also had an offer, an offer of a job, another situation, that I really fancied, I really wanted it. And I had a dream that was very clear and disappointing. Again, you know, God giving me the cross, not me choosing it masochistically. I wanted the job, but God made it very clear to me it wasn't right for me. So I turned that one down. But again, God, if we're really honest with him and really open, saying, God, I really want to do your will, he will speak. Clearly, we're going to get it wrong, aren't we? Uh, and again, I, there, there are obvious times where I will have bumbled through and got it wrong. But God knows our hearts, doesn't he? And I don't want anyone to regret, you know, even thinking of this message, thinking like, oh, you know, I, I never even occurred to me to ask God if I should have do that. I just did it. And God is so merciful. He'll redeem the time. And when we've done things without asking God, or even when we did ask God, and maybe we didn't hear properly, the reality is that God is so kind and amazing and so keen to glorify his name and to bless us and other people that there's never wasted time. God is always going to bless that. But at the same time, isn't it such an exciting prospect for us that however old or young or in between, from this moment onwards, we can make, uh, be determined that we're actually going to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to follow Jesus and serve him through continuing sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit. I'm going to be asking God, Lord, where shall I go? Shall I stay? Should I be living here? Should I be going there? Should I have that job? Should I ring that person? You know, in big decisions and in smaller decisions, actually saying, what would Jesus do? He would ask the Father and he would get revelation from the Spirit. And that's what I'm going to do too. So we need continuing sensitivity if we are to serve Jesus by following him. Following him means remaining in him, it means abiding, it means dying to self, and it means resurrection life through the Spirit. And just to close, uh, I remember hearing a, a pastor, an American pastor once, talk about a little girl that came down to him at the front of the auditorium and said, I've got a word from God for the congregation. And uh, I think this pastor was a bit patronizing. He was like, oh, that's, that's nice. What, what? You know, patted her on the head, you know, what's that then? And uh, she said, God said, pray listen, obey. And this pastor said it was like a thunderbolt struck him because there was such a conviction and an anointing on what this little girl said. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be praying. We need to be listening, listening to his word in scripture, asking him to speak to us through the written word, through the Bible, but also listening, continuing sensitivity, abiding in the vine to what the word of the spirit of God is saying. And finally, and so importantly, we need to obey and sometimes that means taking up a cross that God has given us, not one that we've taken on ourselves. You know, I've talked about that already, haven't I? But actually being obedient to God's promptings, however he would lead us. Let's pray together, shall we? I'd just like to encourage you, um, perhaps teaching a mother to suck eggs by saying this to so, so many of you, you know, know the score, know the drill, but just adopt a position that is helpful for just a few moments to become aware of his love, of his voice addressing you as a son, as a daughter, of him wooing your heart. Perhaps you want to hold out your hands as though you're about to receive the world's most amazing gift, the gift of God himself. If it helps you to concentrate, maybe close your eyes, even though you've got the screen in front of you. And let's just wait together for this amazing God that we've been hearing about 
to speak to us through his spirit. Father, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Fill us now, we ask, with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. As you pray that prayer, or echo the words of my prayer, just allow the Holy Spirit to to settle on you and to fill you afresh. Become aware by faith that he is with you, that he is for you. And I feel led to say that he is addressing you as a son, as a daughter. Perhaps there are some listening that don't have it settled in your heart that God really does see you as his chosen one, as his son, his daughter, in whom he delights. Perhaps there are some who are listening and watching this who've never invited Jesus into their heart before. And I encourage you, to ask God to speak to you about his saving love and what he did by dying for you on the cross. That again, he died like that seed going into the ground in order that many could know eternal life. And that many could include you. If you say, Jesus, I'm so sorry that I've really messed up. Like the thief on the cross, I've gone in in a right mess by going my own way. But Lord, I thank you that you want to forgive me and cleanse me from my sin and rescue me from the consequences of my choices. And if you would do that now, then the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship will fill you and you will be able to call God your father and become his chosen and adopted child because of what Jesus has done. If that is you, I encourage you to really ask God now to to make himself present and known to you and just give him your life give him your heart repent of what you know to be wrong and choose his way in this hour your time has come says the Lord to come into relationship with him for yourself not the relationship that your parents have with him or your next door neighbour has with him or your spouse that's got this on the TV and you're reluctantly in the room watching it. Not their faith, but God is inviting you. Your time has come to invite Jesus into your heart that you will be adopted into his family. But for others too who already know the Lord, I just feel that he is saying that he knows you by name. He knows you by name. He sees you. He knows you. You're important to him. So again, allow the Holy Spirit to confirm that truth that he sees you, that he knows you, that he loves you, that he is for you. And as I've been speaking about continuing sensitivity and dependence on him, perhaps there are questions that you want to ask him even now to say, Lord, What are you calling me to at this time? How can I follow you and serve you in this hour? 
How can I be sensitive to the promptings of your spirit? Lord, what are you saying? Teach and instruct me, Lord, in the way I should go. Counsel and watch over me. And allow the Lord to bring revelation through the spirit. Just as Jesus heard the voice of the Father, you can hear God speaking to you as well. What is he saying to you? What is he asking of you? Whatever he says, one thing's for sure, he will be with you. He will be for you and he will go ahead of you. You never go alone. God is with you. And another way that we can follow Jesus is simply to delight in him to delight in who he is to delight in his mercy to see his face to see his eyes of love his outstretched arms to allow him to woo us with his mercy and as Robbie and, and, and the band just lead us now in worship again just draw near to him with praise in your hearts and thanksgiving that he is so beautiful that he is so awesome that he loves you with an everlasting love and that he has amazing and eternal plans for you